Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? It's going pretty good. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh boy. So today actually is a very special episode, even though I have said that before a lot of episodes, because (laughs) we're tackling the game that you guys wanted and that I wanted a lot, which is... (laughs) Deadly Premonition. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, so this game is... It's a lot. Yeah. So y- you're Deadly Premonition veteran, right? Yeah. So I played this game when it came out. Uh, twice. And then I played it again uh, about a year ago on PC... And then I sort of half played, half watched it again for this episode. Okay, and I was I was pretty fresh to it. Uh, like I knew it was a Twin Peaks clone. I I saw a couple of the most ridiculous scenes on YouTube, and I, I had heard a lot of the soundtrack, but I really knew nothing about the game going into it for this episode. Sure. Yeah, and I mean. It's interesting because it has been preserved, but it's also kind of like a lost game uh, because the PC Mm. port that is easy to find is really, really fucking awful. (laughs) Yes, it is. So we we should throw this as a disclaimer before we talk about anything, is that if you want to check this game out, the only way that you can actually play it is on a PS3 or an Xbox 360. And... If you really want to save yourself the headache, like just go to a pawn shop and get one and like buy a copy of this game for $5 because it's still not worth any money and just play it that way. Don't get the PC port on Steam. Don't do it. I got it for like $2, but I'm not exaggerating when I say that it took me at least two hours of fiddling with it just to start playing the fucking game. Right. So this PC port notoriously does not work it just doesn't work uh here's the thing it never worked but it used to not work better <laughs> like <laughs> there were some pretty stalwart fixes that worked um the game uh-huh. crashes a lot and there's a normal crash and then there's sort of like a crash that always happens and there yes. was there was a way that you could get around the crashes that would always happen. It's like basically after every mission, uh, there's a chance that the game will crash. Um, uh, it, it crashes everywhere. Sometimes I would be driving the car and uh, a pop up would pop up on the screen with a DLL error and I would still be driving around, but assets wouldn't be loading in and uh and if I click the OK button on the DLL error, the game would close. Right. Uh, yeah. I had so many issues with this game. Yeah. Well, and the thing is that when I played it, which was like a year ago. Um, yeah. It was before like the big Windows 10 update that happened <laughs> earlier this year. And whatever that update did, for some reason, it makes this game like impossible to play. Uh, yeah. You used to be able to run it in compatibility mode. 
uh, or kind of fuck with some of the files and get the game mm-hmm. to work just enough that you could get past all the choke points. Uh, yeah. Now you just can't. So mm-hmm. um, the way you beat it, I think, was that you were playing as much as you could, but then you'd have to like load a save file you downloaded off the internet, right? Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So first I couldn't get the game to run in full screen, so I had to download a mod for that. Then I couldn't get my fucking controllers to work. Like the X- Xbox One controllers don't work with it. Right. You have. I had to use my DualShock 4 emulating a Xbox 360 controller to make it work. Huh. And then and then the axes on the right stick were wrong. So when I looked left, it would go up. And so so I had to download like uh oh, it was a mess. And then uh just constant crashes. But yeah, what you're talking about is a corrupted save file essentially where the game would crash at the end of a specific cutscene every single time. Yeah. And it's around the end of chapter 2 and it's it's a widely known issue and some guy uploaded a save file you know, onto the internet. And that's what I used to continue the game, which was a real bummer because I lost a lot of stuff like side quest progression and things like that. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into it, but the game has a huge like life sim component. So it really, yeah. really sucks to, uh, to use someone else's save file or have to abandon your save file. For me personally, I've played it both ways. Like I've muscled through the awful fucking PC port and I've played the original on 360. And definitely just get a disc, just play the game. It's worth it if you want to experience it because there's nothing else like this game. There is literally only (laughs) one deadly premonition. Um, But I just wanted to throw that out there as kind of a disclaimer that it's worse than it used to be. Uh, It's you're not crazy. It's not just you. This game just straight up doesn't work on PC anymore. Yeah. uh, So I think it has a lot of like legacy dependencies. I think it needed like Visual Studio 2006 or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, some of the libraries that it's calling are very old. Yeah, for sure. So just wanted to throw that out there because it's worth like <laughs> it's worth bringing this up, you know, when talking about this game. So I think one of the big problems with Deadly Premonition is that it's sort of like indescribable <laughs> in a short way. Right. Like. How would you describe Deadly Premonition in a sentence or two? Deadly Premonition is Twin Peaks the game. (laughs) Okay, like thematically that's true, but in terms of gameplay? In terms of gameplay... Because it's not really survival horror, and it's not open world really... Yeah, okay, so let's talk about it. Because you're right, there is no short way to break it down. But yeah, Deadly Premonition is a game originally released in 2010 uh, that was <laughs> developed by Swery, which is the or Swery 65 if you're nasty. Um, was that his AOL email? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> Hit him up, guys. Yeah. It's the pseudonym of Hidetaka Swahiro, who is a game designer, writer, developer. And if you look at his work, the game starts to make a little bit more sense. I mean, (laughs) essentially his bread and butter has been combining old school survival horror with other genres. And Mm -hmm. he, so his first big game uh, well, his first big games were Extermination and Spy Fiction, which are both PS2 mm-hmm. games. 
They're both pretty cool PS2 games. Uh, Extermination is like a combination of survival horror and third person action. Uh, Spy fiction is like a combination of stealth and like a little bit of the sort of survival horror item management Uh stuff. Yeah. And after this game, I mean, he made a game called D4, which is pretty similar to Deadly Premonition in a lot of ways. And he also made a game called uh, Missing, which is basically a combination of like puzzle platformer and survival horror. (laughs) Mm. So Mm -hmm. he sort of does these bizarre genre mashups and he's definitely coming from that background of survival horror. Uh, The company that developed Deadly Premonition, as well as his earlier PS2 games, is Access Games, which was actually started by one of the co-creators of Resident Evil. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. And it's also the dude who it's the dude who co-created Resident Evil who also worked on Sweet Home. Oh, nice. Yeah. So like the legacy of survival horror is very, very strong in the access games uh, catalog. DNA. And, yeah. And also in the catalog of Swery. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, I think. When you're looking at this game in a vacuum, it's it's kind of like, what the fuck? But then once you actually put all those pieces together, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah. The kind of wacky wrench in the works to me is that this game is also essentially a life sim. Yes, it's it, it, it has a big slice of life component where, you know, there's a day and night cycle. The townspeople move on their own and have their own routines every day. I guess sort of like the Yakuza games, um, there's a lot of side missions that have to do with just like helping the townspeople do things. Um, sometimes they're really silly and sometimes they actually have to do with your investigation. Right. And the other thing is that when you're talking about this component of the game, you have to talk about the Twin Peaks influence because right. yeah. once again, it makes it all makes sense so if you're not familiar twin peaks is the david lynch tv show from the early 90s it's a classic if you like this game you probably also like twin peaks right (laughs) um james you and i are both twin peaks obsessives oh yeah i love it um just i guess for context like me and my partner, Monica, have a whole shelf that's just Twin Peaks memorabilia. And <laughs> our band we used to do did a cover EP of Twin Peaks music. <laughs> Which is dope, by the way. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm pretty proud of it. It came out really well. and I've got it on cassette. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's the only way. Uh, we also used to do a yearly Twin Peaks show. Uh, at a bar that doesn't exist anymore that had like a creepy side room and we'd turn the side room into the Black Lodge and (laughs) we'd play music and do like a costume contest and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, That's awesome. It was pretty fun. Um, But so like, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of Twin Peaks talk in this episode and if that bothers you, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Twin Peaks is essentially a show about an FBI agent named Dale Cooper coming to the small town of Twin Peaks to solve the murder of the local sort of beloved prom queen, Laura Palmer, Uh right? Mm -hmm. And 
The tone of the show is really important to the game Deadly Premonition because the show would swing wildly between like ultra dark hardcore horror and like slapstick goofball comedy. Almost. Very irreverent. Um, People act really weird. Everyone's very idiosyncratic. Right. Um, And I don't know, there's just a sort of like hypnotic joy about it. You know, the, the, the soundtrack mixed with the way people act and, um, you know, the really abstract, weird, horror stuff, you know, the David Lynch magic. I don't know. It, it all turns into a, a super charming television show and something that really like spawned the future of, you know, the evolution of television as a medium. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all kind of tied together by the sensibility of the creator and sometimes director of the show, David Lynch, you know, Mm. in that he's like a surrealist basically. And he mixes these elements of like Americana with Uh surrealism. And so, yeah, the comedy and the acting and the horror and all these things are tied together by the fact that the show is very, very surreal. So when it switches on you, it's jarring, but in a good way. Like, yeah, you know, the horror you can it. be legitimately scary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the Twin Peaks film Fire Walk With Me is one of the creepiest movies I've ever seen. Right. Well, and that's another important component of this is that Twin Peaks was on ABC <laughs> in its original yeah. run. So he was constantly butting heads with them, but he was also crafting something that was borderline acceptable for television it's still hard to imagine it airing on abc in 1990 like (laughs) you know don't you feel that way yeah for sure like when you watch it now you're just like how how did that happen yeah especially the first few episodes and the last few episodes yeah that shit is wild for you know uh uh networks that are more known for like the murder of the week type shit you know yeah exactly well so twin peaks aired two seasons uh on abc and then afterwards they did a movie called fire Uh walk with me now fire walk with me is immediately a huge shift in tone even from the show (laughs) yes um it's not i wouldn't call it like a major departure but it definitely has its own vibe and it's dark as fuck. Yeah, that's what I mean. Just the tone of it is so much darker and grittier. Yeah. Than, you know, everything but the darkest and grittiest moments of the original show. Yeah. You know? And so it kind of became clear that in David Lynch's perfect world, or maybe in his fantasy, the whole show would have been a lot grittier and darker. So when they brought the show back 25 years later for a third (laughs) season that's called The Return, uh, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a surprise to me, at least, that that third season is, like, super dark, disturbing, ultra gritty, like, very, very fucked, right? And very goofy. Yeah, just (laughs) weird. They just pushed it in all different directions. I mean, I, I think Lynch was at the point where he, like, didn't have to answer to anyone yeah so he just didn't give a fuck yeah and he's been retired since the mid 2000s early 2000s yeah so it's kind of like he didn't give a fuck 
Like even after it finished airing and people were like, so you're going to make more, right? And he was just kind of like, eh, eh. And you're like, uh, you better fucking make more. I don't, I don't think they're gonna, and I'm, I'm fine. I still, I'm still trying to figure out what happened in season three. So what year is it? <laughs> exactly. I have to know. <laughs> um, but so the reason that I bring all this up and I talk about this is because it kind of helps you to get inside the mind of Swery and the people making <laughs> Deadly Premonition. Because when Twin Peaks was airing on ABC, it was pretty clear that a lot of the people behind it were pushing against the constraints, right? And yeah. they were trying to make something that was bigger than just like a network TV show. So with Deadly Premonition, to me, if I was going to describe at length what I think the concept of this game is, it's essentially another auteur taking Twin Peaks and trying to turn it into something that's more modern, more gritty, and that can be told and experienced in one unit of entertainment. Not in mm. a sitting, because this game is fucking long as shit, but <laughs> in the terms of like, it's one game, it tells the story start to finish. There isn't anything after, there isn't a possibility of more, it just is what it is. Well, it does do its own thing in a lot of ways. Right. But... In the ways that it does its own thing, I think it's significantly worse than Twin Peaks. And, I mean, when we get into the plot later on, we'll talk about that more. But I think it's at its best when it's emulating Twin Peaks as sort of like quirky slice of life meets murder horror stuff. Right. And it's... Well, let's talk a little bit about the development, because I think there's a lot of insight into why <laughs> it is the way it is there, right? Yeah. So this game was originally announced as Rainy Woods, which is just yes. funny even to say. Yeah. I mean, that's like alpha tier English. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you can imagine, I mean, before they released the whole Twin Peaks series on one DVD set, you had to get this, like... Chinese bootleg version of the pilot <laughs> and it was it was really popular like you could go to Suncoast and buy it and I can imagine the like grainy poorly printed cover saying Rainy Woods instead of Twin Peaks and just not even batting an eye at it you know yeah so the game had been in development since 2004 uh, they had announced it as Rainy Woods <laughs> boy does it show it <laughs> yeah exactly uh but it was canceled in 2008. After it was shown at a trade show, right? Yeah, so it had been shown, it had been reported on. I remember reading uh, magazine articles about it. Yeah, like, and there's a full-blown trailer out. It's on YouTube and you can watch it. Right, so you can see that like, this was a game that was actually in development. I mean, I remember at the time that there was a rumor that they had gotten like a cease and desist and that they basically had to retool it so that it was less like Twin Peaks. But I don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, but because like the final game is still so much like Twin Peaks. <laughs> right. And, and many of the scenes from that trailer ended up being in the final game. Right. I mean, I could see 
it having been canceled just because the game was a mess. Because the game is a mess. I mean, the final game is a total fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing that it's as bad as it is and we're talking about it. I mean, and pe- people have been talking about it since it came out. Right. Because the thing is that it's incredible. It's like, I don't know. It's like a hot mess in a good way where it's like it is so bizarre and just disjointed that like it mm-hmm. works and all the things that it's trying to do end up coming together in some sort of weird mixture and you're just like, yeah. okay, I guess you can do this, you know? It, it really is alchemy. Like, you're just putting a bunch of, like, different species of turds together and it makes gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so <laughs> when they retooled the game as Deadly Premonition and released it in 2010, uh, you can definitely see you know, the seams showing in the development, like certain things had clearly been changed to make the game more unique. Certain things had also clearly been changed to make the game more 2010. Mm. Like I know you said you're like, I can't believe this game is from 2010 because it feels like a PS2 game, which absolutely on a technical level, I agree with, but in terms of the actual gameplay, it's like almost the most 2010 game ever because that was right at the time when every game was a ripping off Resident Evil Force Combat and b uh, being a janky open world game. <laughs> uh, so Deadly Premonition is very um, you can see a mix of old and new assets everywhere. Um in in the open world driving scenes, there's a ton of like extremely low poly uh, environment, um, but at the same time, a couple of the characters' faces look really nice, like the main character's face and the female police officer's face. They all look really nice, really good, but way better than ev- everyone else. Everyone else's faces look like shit. <laughs> uh, even some of the main characters, like some of the murder victims, their faces look like shit. Yeah. Um, it's just such a mixed bag um, when, in terms of environments and characters uh, yeah, and uh, sound effects. <laughs> it's so weird. The sound mixing is really wacky yes. in this game. Uh, it's very amateurish. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially like a budget game done with a relatively small team. That also happens to be a 30-hour epic with, like, yes. eight hours of cutscenes. <laughs> I was about to mention the length. Because an average survival horror game is, what, six to eight hours? Yeah. Sometimes even less. This is a 25-hour a, a game, like, at least. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you're playing the PC version and it keeps crashing. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to replay driving parts a lot. But, yeah, uh, at least 25 hours on your first playthrough. Yeah, it's just such a crazy mix-up of all these different elements. Um, I think, once again, you can either look at it as it's a mess, or Mm -hmm. you can look at it as it's a miracle that this stuff even ends up cohering into something. It really is a miracle. There's some sort of like black magic involved with the development of this game. Yeah, because here's the deal. I fucking love this game. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I already said it, but I played the original version twice 
on the 360. Yeah. I played yeah. the PC version and then I kind of re-experienced it for this episode, uh, which was that I watched all of the cutscenes again and I played certain specific parts of the game to like kind of mm-hmm. get the feel again. But there's only one. There's only one game like it. And right. I think, it, it, okay, so my history with it is kind of illuminating, I think, as to why this game has such a draw to people like me, um, which was that at the time this game came out, I was living with my sister, and I had just gotten her into David Lynch by oh, yeah. showing her Twin Peaks. So we had watched all of Twin Peaks together, and then we watched a bunch of David Lynch movies, and then I was like, oh, hey, by the way, this game just came out that is like this Japanese guy's reimagining of Twin Peaks. And so we played that game together. We played the whole game together. Uh, And it was just like such a weird, bizarre experience because like playing with someone who didn't really play like modern video games and really had just gotten into David Lynch, it was just like not having any sort of context. It was like, this is crazy. Like... (laughs) (laughs) this game is amazing you know i think if you looked at it through the lens of like gamer culture or like game review culture you would just be like ripping it to shreds but (laughs) just looking at it through the lens of trying to be some sort of work of entertainment that you can enjoy it's it's very enjoyable well so you just hit on something um that this game is really known for is its divisiveness i think it's actually in the guinness book of world records is the uh, oh god, how did they put it? Let the most see. critically polarizing survival horror game. <laughs> yes. Like, it got really good reviews and really atrocious reviews. I don't think there's any middle ground for this game. I think you'll either love it or hate it. Yeah, well, it's a cult classic, which is also for a long time how Twin Peaks was seen. Right, yeah. I mean, this is another weird point about this game is it came out in 2010 which was like sort of the doldrums for Twin Peaks fandom like Mm. there were a lot of people out there who were huge fans and like super diehard fans of Twin Peaks but it wasn't easy to watch yet like it hadn't yet (laughs) come to Netflix so there were still a lot of people who hadn't seen it and so it was still a very niche thing and if you were like Mm -hmm. Twin Peaks is my favorite TV show. It was still kind of weird. And yeah. So I think that this game sort of came out at this time when it's like, okay, Twin Peaks is a cult thing. It's a cult classic. It this this game is like a cult classic or sort of a niche experience that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. by just a few years later, it would be on Netflix. Everybody who hadn't seen it, who wanted to see it would have seen it and it was suddenly way more accepted as like, oh, this is a classic, you know? It's interesting for me to see the the crossover interest between people that like spooky video games and the people that like Twin Peaks. Because a lot of Twin Peaks fans are, you know, they were adults when Twin Peaks came out, so they're of an older generation. Sure. So there's a bit of generation gap between the two fan bases. But yeah, like you said, with Netflix and everything, I think... Twin, Pe- Twin Peaks found a younger generation, too. Because there have always been diehard Twin Peaks fans. There's been a Twin Peaks festival every year since the show aired. Yeah. Um, it's crazy, the, the fan base of Twin Peaks. Well, and even for me, it was like, I loved Dave Lynch so much that I watched Twin Peaks originally in like the most cumbersome way possible, which was like... <laughs> A combination of borrowing my friend's VHS copy and then like renting the DVDs from a video store. 
Like, yeah. it was super cumbersome. And so, like, I watched it as early as I could because I was like, dude, like, I want to see this show. But then when I talked to my mom about it, she was like, oh, yeah, that was, like, a huge cultural phenomenon. I used to watch it on TV. And yeah. she was like, oh, I liked it when I watched it on TV. But she wasn't, like, foaming at the mouth for it, you know? I mean, even some local news stations ran polls on, like, people, uh, uh, like, like getting data on, like, f- figuring out who thinks who killed Laura Palmer. <laughs> and so they would, like, televise, like, the lineups. It's so funny. Yeah, for sure. Like, it was a huge cultural phenomenon that became a really niche cult classic and then just became, like, a huge cultural phenomenon again yeah you know i wouldn't even say like i i don't think twin peaks the return brought in a bunch of new fans no Um, but i think the show being on netflix already did yeah exactly so there was a lot of the return is a weird thing because i mean i i know this is a derail from deadly premonition but uh since we're talking about it uh, I, I, I well, I we can actually test in because I feel like Deadly Premonition kind of does a lot of things that you would see in the Return later, but the Return is like such a uh, departure from Twin Peaks and even Fire Walk with Me. Um, I think it has some similarities to Fire Walk with Me with the, the general darkness of it, but some of the Return is just so batshit insane. I never would have expected it to be in part of Twin Peaks. Right. Well, so The Return, which is the third season of Twin Peaks, is essentially David Lynch calling everyone's bluff or you know what I mean? (laughs) Because the original Twin Peaks had a weird tease baked into it, which is that the show could come back 25 years later and pick up the story again. Um, Yeah. And then they actually did it, which I think a lot of people were sort of like, oh, well, it's going to be like this you know the return which i think people were like oh it's gonna be like a homecoming but it was actually more like a like a dark monolithic return you know like (laughs) so basically the show ends on a really fucked up dark note yes and the return just fast forwards 25 years and it's like yeah guess what everything's dark and fucked up and everything is horrible and (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> the whole show is just like super, super dark and weird. And even like the bits of humor or levity don't feel light or good. <laughs> like they're super, super dark and messed up. And yeah, the whole time uh, replaying this game now, you know, after the release of that deadly premonition feels like it predicted the return because once again, so in Swery's reimagining of Twin Peaks as a thing that you could tell in a single unit, he decided to make it a dark and gritty and B he decided to sort of insinuate that everyone in this world is evil. Uh, like (laughs) almost everyone in deadly premonition is like a bad person. Uh, and, and, or completely insane. (laughs) absolutely and so in the return you know that's kind of the case but it's it's because the original show ended on a super dark note and that world just carried on for 25 years so everything sort of became like twisted and sad but in deadly premonition it's Mm -hmm. just like that's just the way this world is 
Yeah. And so, I mean, talking about the return is actually really useful when talking about this game because I think it shares a lot with it. I mean, at the time this game came out, also, that season didn't exist. So this game was the only modern reimagining of Twin Peaks that we had. That's very true. Yeah. People were waiting for something. Right. And even like ABC tried once with a show that I believe was called uh, Happy Town or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and it was such a gigantic flop that I think it, it was canceled before the end of the first season even. Like you had to go on their website to watch the last episode. Um, Dear God. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't well, it wasn't good, but it wasn't like terrible. You know, it was fine. Uh-huh. But it was essentially they just tried to make a modern show that was like Twin Peaks without any of the stuff that like made it interesting or special. So it didn't do well. Yeah. There was also stuff like Erie, Indiana. And of oh, course, yeah. a couple of years later, we got the X-Files. So right. there's there's some things that kind of carried the torch, but Twin Peaks really started all that. Right. So uh, in Deadly Premonition, there is a ton, a ton of... Twin Peaks influence, but there's also a lot of stuff that they changed. So we kind of had already been talking about that, but um, let's kind of run through what some of that stuff is. You know, what differentiates mm. Deadly Premonition in a story way from Twin Peaks? <laughs> um, so for me, the protagonist is the big one. Uh, the yeah, pro- yeah. Well, they, they have a lot of similarities, right? Right. Uh, Francis York Morgan is our hero in Deadly Premonition. Um, He's... So Dale Cooper and Francis York Morgan are both very idiosyncratic and quirky, but York comes across as um, really arrogant a lot of times, especially at the beginning, Mm -hmm. and um, a bit tone deaf and socially inept. Right. Much more than Cooper. Cooper is much more of a, uh, a kind of a dorky gentleman. Right. So the premise of both things is the same, which is that this, you know, kind of beloved prom queen in a small town gets murdered and an FBI uh-huh. agent shows up to try and solve the case. In Twin Peaks, Cooper shows up. He seems very good natured, even though he's very eccentric. Uh, yeah. And when he butts heads with the local police, it's because the local police are like very pigheaded and they don't want him there, mm-hmm. but he wins them over with charm in deadly yeah. premonition. He shows up and it's like the local police are assholes, but he's also an asshole. He's maybe <laughs> an even bigger asshole and he doesn't make any sort of effort to like work with them. And like, he frequently is just like, I don't, I don't know why you want me to do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> So, the way you meet York is hilarious um, <laughs> because it kind of mirrors the scene from Twin, Twin Peaks when Dale Cooper is driving into the town of Twin Peaks, speaking into his recorder to his assistant, Diana. Um, but York is driving on his cell phone talking about the sadomasochic relationship that Tom and Jerry have towards each other <laughs> while he's playing on his laptop and trying to light a cigarette yeah. while like driving through the rain. <laughs> yeah. And he flips his car, of course. He flips his car and a pair of squirrels 
have to quickly like run out of the way before, so they don't get crushed, but they make chimpanzee noises when they <laughs> notice the car. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's batshit insane. Right, which is exactly how I would describe York's whole character. I mean, once again, Swery's solution to how would you make a character like Cooper feel modern and real is make it so that it seems like there's actually something very, very deeply wrong with him. (laughs) Indeed. Which there is, actually, and we'll get to that later in the plot. Um, (laughs) But so York is just such a weird protagonist. Like he's constantly in his own head and he doesn't relate to other people and he doesn't relate to the player either really and he he does this thing where like when he's in tense or weird social social situations he can take himself out of it and have just like an internal moment by himself in like the most bizarre social situations right well and a lot of that is due to the presence of another character that he constantly talks to named Zach. And when he has these little moments, he puts his finger in his ear like like there's an earpiece there. Yeah. Uh, but there is no earpiece. He's actually just talking to himself. Uh, yeah. This is a reference to how Cooper is always talking to Diane, which is yeah. presumably someone in the FBI who he's talking to into a tape recorder and then mailing her the tapes. But yeah. Like it's it's so weird and outlandish that it's you start to think right away, like, is there even a Diane? I mean, there is a Diane and we meet her later. But what's well, we meet her 25 years later, 25 she was years never later. in the original series or in Firewalk with me. Right. So in this game, it's like, well, what if he actually is just talking to himself? <laughs> <laughs> but the way they do yeah. it, it it's really weird and confusing. So you're not sure if he's talking to himself. You're not sure if he's talking to an imaginary friend or if he's talking to you, the player and you are Zach. So it is an interesting wrinkle. Yeah. And he, he never really brings it up. And he, at one part in the game, he just straight up tells another character, Hey, um, this is something personal. Just never bring up Zach to me. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so funny it's it's pretty awesome uh especially if you've seen twin peaks and you've kind of had all these conversations about cooper like yeah hey is cooper crazy is diane real you know what is going on in the show in this game it's like well yes he's crazy (laughs) yeah and he'll he'll even be you know driving from one part of town to another and he'll have an internal monologue with zach just talking about anything right which are easily some some of my favorite parts of the game absolutely there's so much of the charm of the game comes from york's internal monologue with zach yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm just thinking about all the shit he talks about it's so good so Uh, along these same lines there's another big change they make which is the townsfolk and the supporting characters in the cast. So Mm -hmm. just like in Twin Peaks, they're kooky. This is in air quotes, but they're also now like legitimately sinister and unsettling. It's it's just all batshit insane. 
right? Yeah, like there's a few big scenes where you get to go around and meet a bunch of different townsfolk, and yeah. they're really rude and off-putting and sinister for the most part. And same goes for George, <laughs> who's the chief of police that you meet yes. really early in the game, and it's just like mm-hmm. so weird. Yeah. Um, so there's not a log lady in this one, but there's a pot lady. <laughs> and she's always running around yelling about how her pot's going to get cold. Right. It's just the weirdest shit. And her, she's got this little animation where she's like running in place. It's like the most meme thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Well, I can't believe she hasn't been memed more. Yeah. There's also... It feels like they took the log lady and turned her into like three different characters. Yeah. Because... There's the pot lady, but there's also the mysterious rich guy who doesn't speak and is wheeled around in a wheelchair by his young dashing assistant who speaks in verse. Yes. Like, what? Yep. And ah, there's so many bizarre, kooky characters, but none of them are fun completely like the game tries to edit it in a certain way and put kooky music under stuff but (laughs) there's always something very to me something very sinister and off-putting about all the characters which i think is actually one of the really great things about this game yeah and you know as a detective game you want to think that everyone's a suspect anyways because you want to get into the mystery so yeah it works pretty well yeah, I actually think this game is a really great whodunit. You totally. Know? Like, there's so many different elements that make it a great whodunit, which is kind of rare in video games. I think a lot of times it's either so convoluted that you couldn't have seen it from the beginning, or it's just way too simple. Well, there's a lot of shark jumping later on in the game. We'll get to that, <laughs> but... Um... Yeah, uh, in general, I think it's a really great whodunit. Right, exactly. Um, all right, so let, let's talk a little about some more of these characters. You, you touched on George. Yeah. Um, so as York climbs out of the woods from his car wreck, he meets uh, Emily and George on the bridge, and they're going to take him to uh, Town Hall or the the police station. Right. And Emily is essentially Naomi Watts. Yes. Um, she's just a clone of Naomi Watts from Mulholland Drive, I guess. But she's um, sort of George's second-in-command, I guess. Yeah. And George is a big burly dude with a big scar on his cheek. And just immediately is a giant asshole to York. And York reciprocates with even more of an arrogant attitude. <laughs> Right. It it starts off pretty great. Yeah. No, for sure. George is a really strange character because you can tell that he's filling the space of Harry, the chief from Twin Peaks. But yeah, Harry is like gruff, but likable. Yeah. He's sort of like a season one Hank Hill kind of vibe. (laughs) Yeah. But like he starts off being an asshole to Cooper and they quickly become like close friends. Right. Uh, George is not like that. George is (laughs) creepy and weird. Yeah. And so, you know, the only other police officer you really interact with is George's assistant, Thomas. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's like a really good cook. Kind of has like a effeminate demeanor. Right. I was gonna say he's very like shy and retiring. He yeah. He's sort of like Andy from Twin Peaks in that he cries and he's very sensitive, but it's like with all the humor taken out of it. Yeah, it's really awkward. Yeah. Yeah. It's very like anime girl. I kept thinking of anime girl. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but um that's pretty much the entire police department. There are a couple NBC cops, but other than that, that's about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a husband and wife that own uh, the general store called Milk Barn. Uh, yeah. He's like a rockabilly dude. Yeah. And then there's there's another husband and wife that own the gas station, and he's like a total asshole, and she's sort of like the uh, like hypersexualized like car wash girl, you know? Yeah, they're like a Sturgis uh, couple. He's like yeah. a big pot belly dude with a motorcycle and she's like a <laughs> sexy cowgirl. Yeah. And you know, there's the equivalent to Donna, Laura Palmer's friend, uh, and her boyfriend. Right. Uh, her boyfriend's dad owns a bar. You know, so there's all these families, there's all these people in town. Um, there's the pot lady. There's a gun store called Panda Bear. Yeah. And their owner and he collects cards. That's his hobby. There's a a hospital, so there's a doctor and then the receptionist that's secretly in love with the doctor. Who are two uh, okay, we gotta pause there because their names are amazing. <laughs> One of them the the receptionist is Freckly Fiona, which is actually yes. what people call her. And then the, the doctor's name is Usha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Usher? Like Usher spelled uh, phonetically in the way that you would say it. Oh, my God. It's so weird. (laughs) And, yeah, there's a ton of these characters. There's even... There's characters who just super aren't important to the plot, but they're just kind of there because you can do side quests or you can choose to seek them out. Like the boyfriend of one of the teen girls who works at the darts bar... The owner of the darts bar, like yeah, Thomas's sister owns another bar, and she's the cabaret singer there. Yes, um, and her songs yeah. are amazing. By the no, way, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's... she's no Julie Cruz. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, she sings in a really hammy uh, jazz singer voice, and. She also uh, is clearly like a Japanese person phonetically singing in English. Uh, So it's like two layers of just really bizarre that I actually kind of have like a weird fondness for because in the PS2 era, this was it was like a pretty common thing. Like Rule of Rose also has like a theme song sung in exactly the same way. (laughs) And I kind of love it. any listeners who know what I'm talking about are now thinking of that song, and that kind of makes me happy. Um, <laughs> it's all pretty impressive because like, it's easy to say, oh, it's a life sim game, or oh, it's a town where there's procedural elements, so people have schedules, and they go about their day, and if you want to meet them, you have to know their schedule and blah, blah, blah. But they actually yeah. did it? Yeah. And it's not like they... like. It's like, oh, it's 9 o'clock, so they disappear from their house and they show up at their place of work. Like, the characters will, like, get in their pickup truck and drive across town. And so you'll, you're driving around town and you'll, like, spot them driving to work or something. Right. 
Totally. Yeah. And you actually have to know some of this because, for example, the gas station, which is like the most important thing in the game, like the yes. dude is not there a lot of the time. <laughs> and so you have to know when that fucking dude is going to be there because otherwise you're going to have to abandon your car in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So there's a schedule. There's a day night cycle and all the businesses are on schedules and everybody is on a schedule. So a lot of times all the stores will be closed um, or like, so for some reason the gun store is only open from like midnight to six in the morning. (laughs) So if you want to go to the gun store, you have to wait or smoke a cigarette to make time progress. Um, And then also if it rains, like everything closes. Right. So yeah, it can be super annoying. And a lot of times, the game's narrative will try to rush you and the characters will actually like really emphasize not being late, but that's sort of a misnomer and you should just take all the time you want because (laughs) if it says to be somewhere at 3 PM, it can be 3 PM the next day and it won't affect the outcome. So, you know, when you're, when you're doing the slice of life stuff, feel free to take your time. Because there's going to be a lot of points later on in the game where you won't even have the opportunity to do some of that stuff. Yeah, totally. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to the Zero Brightness podcast. If you want to support us, the most direct ways are at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also give us a rating on the service of your choice. I know Apple's super into that. And when you leave a rating, you can also leave us a suggestion for a future episode topic. You can also follow us on Facebook as well as Instagram. We're at Zero Brightness Pod. You can also shoot us an email with thoughts, comments, whatever at Zero Brightness Podcast at gmail.com. It's been really cool interacting with people and sharing thoughts on Facebook and Reddit. So hoping to hear from you guys more directly in the future. Okay, enjoy the rest of the episode. So this is another interesting point of comparison to Twin Peaks, which is that, as we mentioned before, in the show, it can just flip a switch on you. It can go from horror to comedy you know, in the blink of an eye. The mm-hmm. game sort of adapts this into the structure of the game, which is that it can go from collecting baseball cards to shooting zombies like <laughs> that, you know? Right. And, you know, the structure of the game is pretty interesting, right? Like, you essentially have two different modes that you're in. It's sort of like an old RPG, actually. Where, yeah, like there's these exploration sections where you are going around the town of Greenvale, which is where the game is set. Not Rainy Woods, (laughs) Greenvale. (laughs) Missed opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Although he is making a game now set in Rainy Woods. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's called The Good Life. I don't know when it's coming out, but they kickstarted it. So, you know, never. Um, (laughs) Give it a decade. Yeah. But... So you're driving around or on foot exploring the town of Greenvale and doing side quests or talking to characters. And basically, once you progress the story enough, you go and do an investigation, which is this game's version of a dungeon. 
And basically, yeah. Yeah. When you enter into these investigations, nominally, you're supposed to be collecting clues to solve a mystery. But what you're actually doing is fighting zombies in a Resident Evil 4 style survival horror dungeon, solving some very, very, very light puzzles and eventually collecting enough story items to have York do his profile and figure out what happened. And and none of those elements are very good. Yeah. The shooting is bad. The dungeon design is very bleak, repetitive, and just generally boring. There's a lot of like box breaking and box pushing. Yeah. <laughs> um the only interesting thing to me is you know, the occasional environmental puzzle where you have to, like, look through a window and, like, shoot a lock from the other side to unlock a door. Like, a couple clever things like that. But, um, yeah, in general, I find the the action-y parts of the game really bad. Uh, the shooting is bad. The aiming is bad. Um, the, <laughs> the weapon strengths don't make any sense. So this is something I really wanted to talk about because your pistol is basically the most useless weapon in the game. So you, you'll get like sticks and pipes and those are really good, but they break after five or six hits and then York throws them away. But your pistol is essentially infinite. So it's, it's very counterintuitive to what you would do in like resident evil to where like, like, no, I'm not going to waste 30 bullets shooting boxes to break boxes in Resident Evil because those bullets are precious. But no, in Deadly Premonition, like the bullets are useless and your pipes are precious. Yeah. It's very bizarre. Yeah. I mean, so this is actually a decent place to talk about the fact that the only version of this game that's still being sold you know, on Steam is the director's cut, which came out three years after the original game. Uh, it's less of a director's cut in the traditional sense and more of like a day one patch where... <laughs> uh, so in the original version, the console version, not the PC version uh, of the director's cut, essentially what they did was they overhauled the combat and controls. So they're a little less tanky. They're a little more agile. The other thing is that they balance the difficulty which really just means they made the game way easier because the original was too hard uh which Mm. is true it's kind of to the points you're making that the combat in this game the action elements in this game they're not good they're basically like janky survival horror i will say that in the director's cut they fixed it enough that it's like easy to breeze through so you don't really get stuck unfortunately if you're playing the pc version it's fucked like (laughs) like you mentioned earlier the axes are mixed up it's super fucking hard to control um it's just a mess these sections too are weird with the difficulty turned down they sort of feel pointless because you can just breeze through them. Like even with the gun, you can kill most zombies in a couple hits. And yeah. then you just have to like make your way through. At the end of most of them, 
you are confronted by the serial killer in the game. Uh, yes. And these sections are awful. <laughs> oh my fucking God. Uh, yeah. So, <sighs> all right. So first we are, we get some quick time events, which no one ever liked. Stop doing that. <laughs> Once again, remember that this was like this game started and was released kind of in the peak period of every game ripping off Resident Evil 4. Yeah. So the presence. Yeah, of but this is some like Dragon's Lair shit. People yeah. need to knock it off with the quick time events. Nobody likes that. <laughs> I want to hear one person say they fucking like quick time events. They're kind of over, though, right? Games don't still do this, do they? I hope so, because it's awful. Yeah. All right. So. Fucking the killer, right? You get a quick time event. You get a couple of those. They suck. And then there's other parts where the game goes split screen. And as York, you have to hide somewhere while the raincoat killer stalks you. And they are the stupidest fucking little mini game like ever devised. So you have to like hide in a locker or under a bed or something. And when he gets close to you, you have to hold your breath so he can't hear you. Right. And then he'll just like do that a couple times. And then each time you hold your breath, like York makes this real dumb animation and like exhales loudly, but somehow the killer doesn't hear you. And you just do that like four or five times. And then the killer screams and then runs out of the room. It's not good. And then there's a third one where, like, it's the same thing. It's, like, split screen, and he's stalking you, but you're running from him. But you're not really running. The whole time, you're, like, turning the left control stick over and over again in, like, some Mario Party shit while he's, like, throwing axes at you in, like, more quick time events. Yeah, you have to waggle to run and then press a prompt to dodge. Yeah, it's just the absolute worst shit ever. (laughs) Yeah. Like, why do I like this game? <laughs> it's the combination of everything. Well, what I was going to say <laughs> is that when you break these dungeon segments down into the gameplay components or look at them purely mechanically, they're really, really dog shit. But when you yeah. look at them from a story perspective, they're super interesting because... As we mentioned earlier, one of the big changes that this game makes to the original Twin Peaks formula is immediately sowing the seed uh, 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 that maybe, maybe your protagonist is completely fucking insane. (laughs) And so for the first X number of investigations, and it's really most of the ones in the game, he tells George and Emily, the other police officers are with him, hey, wait outside well, I go in and check this out. And then he goes yes. in and it's suddenly like he's in a hell world and he's yeah, getting he's chased. like Silent Hill all of a sudden. Yeah. And he's getting chased by uh, this evil monster serial killer in a red raincoat. And so every time you leave or you finish that dungeon, the whole area turns back to normal and everyone else comes running in. So there's this sort of insinuation that, it's actually all like a fantasy or some sort of fabrication by York. <laughs> yeah. So this is also heightened by something that they added into the director's cut, which is a frame story. 
hmm. that was not in the original. So there are scenes that start immediately and are peppered in between the chapters of an old man telling a young girl a story. <laughs> and it's insinuating that the game you're playing is the story he's telling her, which, number one, tone it down, Grandpa. Why are you telling the kid all this shit? <laughs> yeah. Grandpa is like a hash smoker and is yeah. just like complete ghoul and decides to tell the story to his granddaughter. So there's this sort of insinuation that these parts are a fabrication, either by the person telling the story or... York in the game and I yes I'm being purposefully cryptic because I don't know when we're gonna drop the spoiler <laughs> tag you know so I think like as weird and bizarre and frustrating as these parts of the game are they are actually cool in the context of the story and just like a weird scene yeah. that would happen in the show Twin Peaks every time you finish one and everything goes back to normal and like George and Emily run back in you're like what the fuck like yeah what just happened? And, and the f- the first thing he does on any of these investigations, like he'll close the door with them on the other side, and then he'll he'll bust out his cigarettes and like take a giant drag uh-huh. and do this super loud, badly mixed exhale. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> uh, just every time. Uh, I'm definitely gonna drop it in here, but no it's problem with him. He's oh my god, it's so crazy. <laughs> so this is actually something too in the director's cut they improved a lot of the sound mixing if you can believe that so it's actually worse than the original that's insane yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah it basically sounds like a, a tiny bomb going off every time he exhales <laughs> and there's uh there's some scenes where he's doing it while another character is talking and it's mixed in such a way that he just like <laughs> obliterates their lines yeah. People that have like never played the game are going to be hearing this like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. But everybody that's played the game is going to be laughing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, my favorite one is when they're looking for Thomas and Emily shows up and she's panting because it's like, you know, they're it's like she just ran there because this is an emergency. And she's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know where Thomas is. And then (laughs) fucking York is just calmly like exploding out of his mouth with smoke. (laughs) perfect it's like come on dude have some respect she just ran there and she's pretty worried there's there's a bunch of shit in this game i don't know if it's random or not but like there's one part where like york slams a door in her face before she can go inside uh it's so funny yeah I, I can't tell if these things are random or they like really meant for that to happen yeah like if you haven't put it together yet this game is jank it's jank as fuck <laughs> like every time york smiles i shudder yeah so he, do you think that was intentional because it is terrifying every time characters smile is like horrible but York specifically, it looks like he's about to jump out of the screen and murder me. <laughs> it's some creepy pasta shit. Yeah. Uh, so when you're not in these investigations, as we said before, you're out in the overworld doing whatever you want, which yeah. actually has a lot of complex components to it. Um, so on a basic level... You're driving around Greenvale and visiting characters and picking up side quests. Um, this, though, in and of itself, 
is its own system because your car has like a health bar and it needs yeah. gas. Yep. And Greenvale is huge. There's going to be a lot of driving. Yeah. A ton. And, and the you controls get one are song per car. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, the controls are bad. Uh, oh my God. Uh, so I recommend as early as possible, you complete a couple side quests. There's one to unlock fast travel that you can do on the first and second days. That is absolutely essential. Yeah. You have to, you have to get a flower while it's raining and give it to George to give to his mother. <laughs> that will unlock fast travel. The other thing you need to do is go over to the junkyard and unlock the Corvette. Because one, that song is a little more tolerable than all of the other completely intolerable songs. And two, it goes fast and all the other cars drive like shit. Yeah, so in the console versions of the director's cut, uh, or version actually, the director's cut only came out on the PS3, I guess. Um, Oh, weird. And PC. But they improved the driving controls. However, I don't know what happened with the PC port. They're they're way worse. I mean, it is so, so, so bad. So it's like not supposed to be like that? No, it is not supposed to be like that. I mean, it's not great, but it's not like that. And Jesus. What's crazy, I actually put this in the notes, that so when I played the PC version, I had to reinstall it like five or six times. And on... <laughs> One of my reinstalls, the controls worked correctly for like an hour and then stopped. <laughs> and it was, it was so, oh man, it was really like vindicating because I had felt like I was losing my damn mind. I was like, I don't remember the controls being this bad. And then they, for a second, worked like they do in the console version and they're just less terrible. They're still pretty terrible. Like the physics are still really bad. You can flip your car very, very easily so weird but i don't know it is what yeah there like sometimes you'll just be like making a corner and you're gonna flip your car onto its side and it flips back it's so janky it's 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 almost like deadly premonition is like genius but it's also like kusoge like it's a total fucking garbage game in so many ways it's 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 a miracle it's really a miracle (laughs) yeah it's just like the the original idea and a lot of the writing is so, 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 so good that yeah. like it carries you through a lot of the other stuff. Um, <laughs> That's why getting the fast travel early is clutch. Oh, yeah, totally. So in the first couple days, like don't listen to Emily and George like rushing you to do the main story stuff. Do all the side stuff because as you... Stop by places in town, you unlock them in the fast travel. So it's just a win-win. I mean, uh, a lot of the early side missions have to do with the Investigation 2, which is really interesting. Like, you know, the first day you can go, like, visit the victim's mom and then do, like, two or three side quests all on the first day, like, centered around the murder investigation. And you don't even need to do them. Uh, but you should do that. And then some of them are just like friendship building simulator type <laughs> things like doing errands for the milk barn people or, um, 
helping the pot lady get home so she can warm her pot and <laughs> things like that. So yeah, it's it's cool how the side quests are not super useful. Most of them aren't super useful in a gameplay way. I mean, you yeah. can upgrade guns or get better guns. You can upgrade your car and unlock new cars and stuff like that. But a lot of them are just to talk to the characters and get a sense of who they are and maybe get like some lines of dialogue or little scenes with yes. them. The real reward is getting the storyline tidbits. Right. And I think that's really cool and also really forward thinking. It kind of reminds me of Night in the Woods where yeah. it's like the game is going to end the same yeah. plot wise and like it's going to go in the same direction no matter what you do. But on your playthrough, it's like, oh, did you hang out with like the guy who hangs out in the parking lot or did you hang out with like the goth or, you know, like, yeah, and so yeah. it's kind of fun. This game is the same way. It's like it's going to go the same direction regardless and it's going to end the same way. But you sort of have your own version. It's like, oh, did your York hang out with the people who run the convenience <laughs> yeah. store or did he hang out with the pot lady, you know? And so it's pretty to, cool. To me, it's very reminiscent of a a really janky version of a uh, Yakuza game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Cause there's, uh, you know, I would actually say um, that Yakuza and W Promonition have a lot in common. You know, you don't drive in Yakuza, but there's like a big open town and there's a day night cycle and you can do tons of stuff, tons of side missions, like mini games. Um, a lot of the side missions are very quirky and silly and like friendship building kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. I, I would love to see a remake of deadly premonition in the Yakuza engine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for <laughs> that sure. That would make my decade. Well, and I think it's unique too in the way that it mixes life sim with more traditional action game elements, which is still yeah. something that, you know, Yakuza is one of the few games that actually does that. I mean, the life sim oh, totally. genre has like exploded uh, in recent years. And I know this because Monica just plays those games all the time. <laughs> but like, it's interesting how as cool as those game elements can be, it's really kind of kept to its own genre. I think at this time, that was one of the, you know, points of excitement about things that were developing in video game tech where it's like, we can make a huge world with all these characters and blah, blah, blah. So I remember I was playing this game at the same time that I was playing like Yakuza 2. And I was like, oh, this mm. is so cool. Like, I, I really want more of this. And that kind of ended up being a cul-de-sac. Like, I don't really think uh, <laughs> modern popular games don't really seem to do that. And it's really hard for indie games to do it because it takes so long. Well, yeah. So Yakuza is interesting because it, it's whole, it's held its own through what, seven or eight games now? Yeah, it's super but long But there aren't any clones in the genre, and it's sort of its own thing. It recently came to PC, and it's kind of seen a large resurgence in popularity just because the PC crowd seems to love it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would, you know, I would love to see more Yakuza clones. Yeah, for sure. Throw some Dale Cooper on that shit. <laughs> Hell yeah. Doggy. Come on, Japan. <laughs> Apparently, Japan loves Twin Peaks, so... Why wouldn't they, you know? It's fucking great. Yeah. So speaking of life sim elements, uh, this game makes you live. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of putting it. So there is a system referred to as the agent honor system <laughs> in this game. And the way, of course, that you maintain your honor is uh, 
by being clean and well presented and feeding yourself. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to be going through a dungeon and there's like a couch and a sink and a mirror so you can take a nap and then maybe shave and get a bite to eat before you continue on the dungeon. <laughs> right. So there's, yeah, there's sinks where you shave and wash up. There's, uh, you know, couches and beds where you can sleep and then there's suitcases where you can change your clothes and send your dirty clothes off to be dry cleaned. <laughs> and all of these things are, are tied to a meter. And essentially, you need to keep the meter up uh, by doing those things. Or you can choose not to. And uh, you become the stinky detective? Yes, you become the stinky detective. There's flies around you and you sort of look dirty. So... One thing that I will give this game is that if someone told me about a game that came out now that had all stuff in it, I probably wouldn't play it because developers have gotten <laughs> really aggressive about this stuff, you know, where it's like if a game mm. has life sim elements, you have to like ace it or you lose. I feel like it's become a thing now where it's like if you don't like keep up on these certain life sim elements, you start like losing the game, you know. And like, they're just a little bit more aggressive. Like in this game, if you don't keep up with this stuff, it's just there. I think you don't get as much money from the FBI at the end of your investigation. Right. And like the cutscenes are all really annoying because there's like flies around you and they look like <laughs> shit. But it's like, he does look cool with a beard though. He does look cool with a beard. I wish you could grow and maintain the beard actually. But yeah, it's, it's just, I think it's unobtrusive enough that it doesn't really matter. It's the same with like the food thing where like there's a hunger meter and you have to keep it up, but you get so many weird, bizarre food items and it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you eat a real meal or just like a bunch of garbage. <laughs> a can of pickles. Yeah. So James, you listed out some things here that you can eat yeah. and these would, these would uh, comprise a meal if you ate them all at once. Yeah. A single saltine cracker. <laughs> Something just generally known as country ham <laughs> and a can of pineapples. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what better to eat in you know, a hot, humid dungeon than to crack open a frosty cold can of pineapples. <laughs> oh yeah, dog. <laughs> well, and you can also eat a turkey sandwich or like a plate mm -hmm. of food, which, which kind of raises more questions, which is in what pocket is the entire t turkey sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> well, the the little 3D model does look like it's cut into a quarter. Oh, sure. So you're actually eating a quarter of a turkey sandwich. Okay, sure. <laughs> That'll fit in your pocket. <laughs> but yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's just in there. I felt that it was mostly unobtrusive and just kind of added to the weird, bizarre hilarity of the game. Yeah, and you know, there, there's a sink to shave like everywhere. So. Yeah. It's never going to become a problem. For sure. And the other thing about the clothes that's kind of cool is that doing certain side quests will unlock different clothes that give you gameplay bonuses sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, or they just look cool. And having to dry clean them is actually kind of a cool mechanic because they'll be like, okay, so for this day, I can't wear this suit that gives me this bonus. So I either need to have like multiple suits that give me certain bonuses, or I just have to be like really on top of cleaning my clothes so that when I go and do this dungeon, I get this like combat bonus or whatever. 
Well, there is there's a sort of trick around that uh, because you can you can change clothes and change them back immediately, and you're totally fine. Oh, it's really? Like they, yeah, I figured that out like halfway through the game. Is it like a glitch or something? I don't know if it's a glitch, but it'll just let you switch your clothes back, and you're not stinky anymore. So weird. Yeah. Oh, I always paid the money and waited for him to get dry clean like a rube. So <laughs> that's on me. So you cannot talk about the free roaming exploration parts of this game without talking <laughs> about the best part of them, which is York talking to his imaginary friend, Zach. Yes. I was about to bring that up. Hell yeah, brother. Uh, York's convos with Zach are just some magical shit. It's just great world building and character building. Uh, you get to know a lot about York through them. Um, and it makes him really feel more fleshed out as a character and believable person. Which is kind of just absurd even saying out loud because he's like such a fucking weird character. (laughs) Yeah. But we find out that York loves movies the way I love movies. Yeah. He sounds like Joe Bob Briggs talking to himself about these movies. Yeah. Like... Uh, he's into, you know, films like The Deadly Spawn, and he knows who directed them and what else that dude's directed. And, um, you know, just like Joe Bob, he'll go off on these, like, hilarious rants about films, like Superman 4 and, I don't know, so much stuff. There's, like, a good bit about Jaws. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, he also used to be a punk rocker, which comes up a couple times. Yeah. And so he loves, like, what, Fear and Joy Division. Yeah, Sham 69. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Brings up Dinosaur Jr. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, there's so many great cultural references, and they're not just, like, cheap references, because he actually starts to examine the things that he brings up, you know? Yeah. And it's really fascinating to listen to. Especially for me on my first playthrough, because it was like I was playing it with my sister. And so we were already talking to each other, like while you're driving around aimlessly. But then York would start talking to us. So it was like there were three of us in a car tooling around. (laughs) And it's, I think it's really the most deadly premonition thing in this whole game. It's where the game is most itself because it's forcing you to do this awful driving that takes forever and requires you to actually stop and get gas frequently or <laughs> abandon your fucking car and like steal another one. Yeah, uh, I don't know what you're doing. I don't think I ever had to buy gas the entire game. Maybe I, think the, I just grabbed different cars. I think that's something they changed in the director's cut. Oh, okay. Because in the original, I remember always running out of gas. But when I played the director's <laughs> cut, I yeah, I I had the same thing. I think once I had to like switch cars. Um, so I think they rebalanced a lot of little shit like that in the director's cut. Yeah. But so like you're in this boring drudgery, but then your reward for doing it is like the best writing and voice acting in the entire game. <laughs> totally. And it's, it just is really what's like emblematic about what works and what doesn't in this game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it's also not just limited to Zach. 
uh, several times you'll have passengers with you and they'll all just have a conversation while driving. Right. Um, Although so. it, it is easy to accidentally skip those parts by like not getting in the car fast enough or like pressing the wrong button. And then you're just like yeah. alone with your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is, it's okay, but, you know. So, uh, another thing that is infinitely charming but missable is that every day in the game, uh, everyone in the police station will get together for lunch within a certain number of hours. And so, if you meet everybody for lunch, you're rewarded with a fun scene. And it's always, like, some, like, Twin Peaks-style slice of life stuff or about, like, how Emily can't cook or something, you know? Yeah, all the meals or meetups for drinks or whatever in the game are, like, great scenes that you technically can skip or miss, which is kind of a shame. I think it's where the sort of open-ended element of the game really hinders it because, I mean, the real star of the show is the story, and it's not just the main story cutscenes. A lot of it is like these little side scenes that illuminate who and what the characters are. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I noticed on my last playthrough of it that because I knew all that shit, I was being very, very attentive. And because of that, I saw stuff that I definitely missed on my first couple playthroughs just because mm-hmm. especially my first first playthrough because I just didn't know you know, yeah, and the game gives you so many options that there's moments where it's like, well, no, maybe I won't do that, and it's like, well, you just missed a major cutscene, actually. Yeah, and it does it doesn't televise any of this stuff very well. I mean, like, you can just show up show up at somebody's house on a certain night, and you'll just get unique dialogue, right? Like, I think one night you can stop by like Thomas's apartment, and Emily will be there, and then you could talk to them, but it's only for like one or two nights that that dialogue is available to you yeah and like are you gonna drive halfway across town for a couple lines of dialogue like it's it's kind of surprising that like people know that it's there you know yeah it's cool in the sense that it effectively makes every playthrough different and i'm never gonna knock on a game for a system that actually does that but i think for a game where its pleasures are so rooted in like the linear and just the parts that you watch, it's kind of a bummer. Right. Well, folks, hate to say it, but I've got another bummer for you. That's the end of our conversation for this week. Join us next time when we take apart the story of this insane game. I've got a feeling like it's going to be a long ride over a bumpy road. As always, this episode was brought to you by you, and you can go to patreon.com slash zerobrightness to find out more. And also, Zero Brightness is a game club. You can play the games along with us. Next week we'll be finishing up Deadly Premonition, and after that, it's Resident Evil Remake. Well, technically... The remaster of the remake. Zach, this stuff is so confusing. After that, it's the original Silent Hill, followed by the first entry in the Fatal Frame series. Jeez, that's a lot of bangers in a row, Zach. Anyway, I just lit this cigarette so time is moving a lot faster. I should wrap this up. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
tattooed back and the upside down peace sign. There's a lot left to answer. I hope the coffee will give us more guidance tomorrow.